Welcome to Box 2, brought to you in partnership with Best Westerns Hotel GB, supporting local, proudly independent hotels. I'm your host, Jimmy Jones Buchanan, and each week I'll be sitting down with players, staff and special guests around Leeds Rhinos to tell their stories, preview upcoming weeks at the club and chat about all things Rhinos. Let's see who I've got in the hot seat for this episode. Welcome back to Box 2 for this, another weekly roundup in partnership with Best Western Hotels, GB. I'm Jim Jones Buchanan and I'm joined this week by Leeds Rhinos head coach, Rowan Smith. Rowan, great to have you on. I don't know how many Box 2s you might have watched, but it's great to be able to have a, a chat. A great weekend, certainly for Lois Fortel and her team as well, getting to Wembley, the first women's team to make it in the Challenge Cup final at Wembley. Great for the club, isn't it? Yeah, well, firstly, I've watched um, all the box twos and I've enjoyed them. Um, you always find out stuff about people that you're, you're not otherwise aware of um, in this type of format, which is it's really good. Um, yeah, for, for Lois, Lois does a great job. Um, she's super passionate about growing the game um, in its entirety, not just the, the Rhinos first team women's. So it's great to see that reward um, for Lois and, and, the, and the squad. Um, yeah, Wembley's a an unbelievably special place um, to, to get to, and it doesn't matter how how you get there, the um, the opportunity is um, you know something that everyone in this country particularly dreams of. In the last 12 months as well, it's really been impressed upon me, having been here for so long, this one-team Rhinos mantra. And some of my favourite moments, Rowan, is down at Kurtzel Training Ground when you've been running coaching sessions. Is just, uh, certainly on the 3G pitch, there's not a blade of grass that's not covered by a men's team player, women's team, one of our academy players learning physical disability. I think that holistic approach to the one club mentality and the coaching, pedagogy, teaching that you like to give upon them is really prevalent. It means, seems to mean a lot to you. Yeah, it does. I think uh, yeah, in professional sports, everyone gets caught up in the, the results and, and that's super important, no doubt. Uh, but we're a club, we're not just... Uh, you know, a first first team, um, and we're also not just a first team in an academy that are aspiring to be a first team. We're we're a club that's made up of many different parts with um, different sports um, yeah. and different modes of the same sport with um, with the wheelchair um, stuff as well. So you know, I think it's really important to bring the teams together to to feel like a feel like a club, um, not just wear the same badge, but actually interact and build connections and relationships. And it's been great to see some of those um, periods where we've crossed paths and spent time together actually um, forging relationships and connections between the grades. So um, it's, a, you know, it's a unique club, this one, um, in that regard. So it's, it's certainly um, yeah, bigger than just first team results on a Friday night, um, but it's, it's, um, it's a privilege yeah, and inspiring to be seeing so many people trying to play our great game. And the netball as well, I love it. You mentioned different sports, it's great. And you are a student of sport as far as I can see. You're extremely well read. You're always sending around books on learning and a lot of the context around them seems to be on the vehicle of sports, such as 
you know, basketball, NBA, uh, even baseball. It, it seems something that you're passionate about. And I just wanted to just jump back in, into rugby league. And what's stood out to me as somebody being objective this season is the, how condensed the league is. And there seems to be some sort of mechanics around that as to why, you know, certainly above the, the bottom three, anybody can beat anybody on the day. We've seen two Challenge Cup surprises in inverted commas, probably not a surprise to you. Uh, but it is entertaining. It's as good as it's ever been for me. And I just wondered, have you got a take as to why the mechanics are like that at the minute and why we're seeing these types of results? Yeah, it's a good question. It's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, in a salary cap sport, that is the idea of the salary cap is to spread the talent um, across the teams. Um, I know not all clubs have the same resource um, in Super League to be able to do that, but I'd, I'd be guessing that the, the spread of, uh, or the, the investment across the, the competition is probably at its most equal, which maybe is helping to, uh, to make the competition equal. Um, it's, it's exciting to be part of a competition where you, you know that you have to play well to give yourself a chance. Um, but I think beyond us inside the clubs, um, where it's always, um, you, you live and breathe, the day-to-day -day preparation and the, the result um, is huge. But for the, the fans and even the neutral follower of the game, you know, a lot of people would have been watching the, the Challenge Cup on free-to-air on the weekend, seeing teams that maybe don't have the same profile yeah. beating the highest profile teams in, in our sport. So I think it's, it's great from that regard. Um, the other thing I've thought about previously, probably in my times in, in and around the NRL, is in the modern game, there's a lot of players and coaches moving clubs. Yep. So there's no real secrets. There's um, a lot of transfer of information, either directly or indirectly there with, um, with player and coach movement. So I think that helps to, to balance things out. Um, coaches move from a successful club to, an, to another club and share ideas and that that can bring things closer together. Um, I think there's a few other things that maybe equalise the, um, the performances a little bit, but might not go into those just, <laughs> just here. <laughs> it's probably not the format. But do you reckon it's healthy for the game as well? I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been watching it forever, or seemingly forever, but I'm enjoying it now as much as I ever have done. It's good for the game. That's exactly what we wanted, isn't it? We've got it. A lot yeah. of people are going, oh, what's going on here? But actually, it's a great thing. Yeah, speaking outside of just uh, Rhino's interest, is it that that's what professional sport is about? It's about um, different teams having success at different times, and and that there's a cycle. Um, it's un, very uncommon in salary cap driven sport for a team to win four competitions in a row. Like that's that's unheard of. Um, so for for that to balance out a little bit, and maybe they're still, getting, you know, they're still in the running to win. There's no doubt about that. But it's, it's um, the com the competitiveness of sport is based on the process and feeling like your process can out take outdo someone else's. Yeah. Um, so anytime that's evident for the duration of the game, we've had so many close games in Super League uh, throughout the competition this year that it it makes the spectacle better. Um, the contest is what it's about, and I, I really don't believe that people want to turn up to a foregone conclusion. You know, I think people actually 
deep down want to see a tight, hard-fought game. Like there's, you know, in other sports you watch a Premier League and there's nothing better than a 95th minute injury time winner. Yeah, 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 yeah. For for a memorable game, you know, it's it's the four or five nil. Everyone half the ground's empty by the time the game's finished, and that's not really the I don't know the the deep down competitiveness and uh, spirit of sport, of professional sport. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there about almost the bespoke nature of each team having to outdo each other. And I reckon in the past, and I always talk about this idea that things that have never happened before happen all the time. And there's things happening now that I've, I've not seen before, even in the game. And it looks to me like every week you've almost got to preview the identity of the team that you're playing. You can't just rely on being... Nine out of ten in your own identity anymore because that won't get you over the line. There are so many little nuances within the opposition that you have to coach really well to be specific to them. And then even then, it's it comes down to some small margins. Would would you say there's a lot more in the prep to do, to do now as a coach? Yeah, there's a balance to that because um, you know we're dealing also dealing with an individual. 17 individuals on your team that all need kind of different level of detail and, and preparation that. Um, you do have to be aware of what the opposition's strengths are, otherwise you're, you know, you're, you're putting all your eggs in your own basket, which is, um, yeah, it's the, it's the balance between trying to negate the opposition's strengths but playing to your own strengths at the same time. So uh, we, we do, we provide a lot of detail and, you know, I'm a detail-orientated guy. I had to learn the game um, from a different perspective because I didn't play at a high level. So my ability to help players is to be able to provide detail to them and giving them the detail to be able to give themselves the best chance of not losing and winning at the same time. Yeah. So um, getting that, yeah, that balance right between your own, playing to your own identity but being aware of the opposition identity is certainly a key to, to the way I think coaching should be done. I remember last year when we used to go to games and we sat in the front there and you'd sort of chat and reminisce about some of your memories as a kid, like going to Hull, obviously your dad spent time over here at Hull and, and Bradford. Um, and, and I guess for me, you know, seeing you now as a coach, you've been a career coach, you've had a lot of experience in there. And I wondered what effect your dad had on that. Because I look at my boys, I've got four boys playing rugby league, talk about it most weeks, but the dad side of me almost overrules the, the player history. Um, to a point where it just becomes about, listen, son, go do your best, enjoy what you're doing. Uh, and I, I doubt how much of an effect I have on my kids as an actual believe player in terms of their development. And I just wondered, you, you're very much your own guy, your own man, your own ideas. But growing up with Brian Smith, how much of an effect did he have on the motivation in your trajectory in your coaching career? Yeah, it's a... It's an interesting one. I, like I remember being, I remember you know going to the boulevard at, at seven years old and actually bumped into a few of the um, the players dad dad coached uh, back there in '88, um, not not too long ago. And you know they were talking about me and my brother running around on the field and at training in the the uh, the whole winter um, back then. So I guess being around it at that age, you're not aware of. Yeah. You know, you're just sort of following your parents and you, you're seeing what they get up to, and, but you're, you're not aware of the influence that it's having. Um, probably through my, my early teens and probably, you know, all the way up until I left home when I was, I was 21 when I, I moved out. But um, through that period, I, I think I started to be consciously aware of the influence because I was playing 
playing footy and, and then trying to start my coaching as well. And I, I guess the influence being around and being in the car or being in the dressing room when coaching chat was, um, was happening was sort of um, by osmosis or um, just, yeah, not, not actively trying to be a coach at that stage, but just it was a, a knock-on effect of being around it. Um, it's something I'm conscious of right now as well. My, like I, I love all sports and, and cricket being another big one. And my, my young fellow's eight and he's obsessed by cricket um, and the detail of it. And you can watch a whole day of test cricket on TV without blinking and <laughs> picking up the, the tendencies and the traits of players and then, you know, going out in the back garden and trying to replicate it. Like I, I think... Um, Without me ever, like I never talked to him about wanting to, um, to to help him with his sport. Like I'll throw balls or whatever, but I don't. Um, I'm conscious of not being the, because I'm the sporting coach, not being the sporting dad coach as well, um, and stepping back. But I think him just being surrounded by coaching from his from his day one, pretty much. He yeah. he's gravitating towards that detail and that that practice and that. Um, yeah, I guess that way of way of life that sport is. I think that's great, and it really helps hearing you say that because that's what I try to articulate about me and my kids. Just being there from a ball, keep pointing them in a the direction, like, and you think to yourself, you've got to let go of the fact that you might think you know what direction they need to go in, but actually they've got to see that for themselves. There's yeah. just no manufacturing it; it'll either happen or it won't. Um, from a young age, I think you. Coach swimming, you've done all kinds of things. What is it that gives you the satisfaction and gratification when you go home at night? Is it is it the relationships that you forge? Is it is it giving that skill seeing people develop? What what is it for you? Yeah, it's seeing seeing people people develop and you know, right back to my, my earliest days of coaching with teaching sort of four to six year olds how to swim, you know, eight or ten yards and that was um an eye-opening experience trying to get four or five uh, kids of that age to to stay on task for half an hour was a great uh, grounding as a coach. Um, but seeing the kids improve was was exciting. Um, seeing them have fun in some cases, like some of those kids didn't have maybe the best uh, background at times or upbringing or whatever, but they loved their swimming. So seeing them having fun for half an hour there was to be a small part of their growth and development was was cool. And then obviously been around all different levels of rugby league for, for a long time now, seeing people and players develop. And sometimes um, it could be that they, you know, finish a uni degree and that's more success than they've had on the, you know, on the professional stage. But um, there's lots of ways of being successful and to play a, you know, a small part or a big part, depending on who the player is to, to help people along their way. That's what I, that's what I aspire to do. Um, I guess that servant sort of mentality of you're here to to help other people and you know your family being one, but but whatever you do for an occupation, you you're trying to provide support, develop um, people, or you know provide a service that helps. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think when you have the chance to fulfil a bit of potential, I talk a lot about this upstairs. It leaves you with that sense of gratitude as well, because you never really be able to pay that back certainly the mentors, and it is motivating to be able to pay that forward. And I want to ask you about Daniel Anderson, who's prevalent um, in some of our biggest rivalries with St. Helens back in sort of 7, 8 and 9. Been doing it tough recently, obviously, um, but he was a bit of a mentor for you, somebody who give you some early opportunities. Tell me about that relationship with Daniel Anderson and, and what he means to you. Oh, yeah. Um, sort of, I get a bit, a bit of... Um, 
bit, bit emotional at times thinking about Daniel now and um, probably probably did. You know, I've been very grateful for, for what he's done yep. um, for me, you know, for, you know, beyond beyond his um, beyond his accident, I've said thank you a few times, and probably um, yeah for a, for a professional coach to reach out or to you know I connected with Daniel when I was still at university, uh, watching opposition, upcoming opposition, and, and just doing a few odds and ends and a bit of you know that background work that head coach wouldn't have had time for. Um, they only had a small coaching staff at the Warriors at that stage, and that was. Um, a bit of an insight into the professional um, work that that's sort of required, and I didn't expect anything to come of it. I was um, pretty much over university. I was just getting through it to to get my degree. Um, but this gave me an avenue of learning how to analyse rugby league properly. Um, at the back end of it, the the time I'd done two years of sort of voluntary work, and I thought oh, I'll start like trying to find a coaching job somewhere. Um, Daniel and the, the New Zealand Rugby League and the Warriors sort of created it. A, a, the way I'd, you know, had some funky title, but it was essentially, it was an apprentice coach that helped the young players, um, did a lot of video analysis um, work. We were just transitioning to DVDs back then from, <laughs> um, from VHS and trying to get the DVD onto um, a laptop to, to be able to do some editing and stuff was uh, the very early stages of that. And I was, I was 21, so, um, being the youngest staff member, you had to take charge of the technology. Um, so that was an experience and I had to learn, learn a lot there. Um, but yeah, for Daniel Dick to give a, someone with no experience, um, no coaching experience, that opportunity was um, unbelievable. And Daniel was a phenomenal coach. Like the way he coached those Warriors teams of the early 2000s, um, you know, and then he, the, the way he did it with St. Helens over here and the style of play and the, the level of detail um, I remember his ability to remember things that happened in the game was phenomenal. Um, well, still, still is. He's um, he's got an eye for it. Um, I loved. You know, I used to go Saturdays. Used to go around Auckland watching different games. Um, he'd say, "Go watch this kid and tell me what you think, or give me some feedback on this," because there was that many good kids around the place. He couldn't see them all, yeah. um, but he knew he knew which ones were were going to make it, and that pool of players that in the early two thousands there that. The Warriors had some of them didn't make it at the Warriors, but they bobbed up at other NRL clubs. Um, there were so many players in that time that ended up being NRL players, similar to sort of Parramatta through the back end of the 90s and early 2000s as well. They were providing players for the whole competition, um, which you know I really liked that developmental um, mindset of of building a club, and that was my grounding in it. And yeah, I'm forever grateful for. Daniel's, um, you know, faith and and the time he took to to give me a go and to help me along the way and yeah, you know, I was disappointed that he his time at the Warriors ended early, um, earlier than it should have, and we sort of parted ways. But I've um, I've yeah never forgotten how how much he's done for for me and given me the opportunity to travel the world, coaching and being part of rugby league. Like how if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have had that chance. So. Um, I've met my wife on that journey, got three beautiful kids now, you know, like that, that pretty much comes down to, to Daniel giving me that chance, so yeah, I can't be more grateful. Love it, the best bit about sport, that vapour trail of influence that everybody leaves behind, Ron Smith and, uh, and Daniel Anderson there. You mentioned travelling the world, meeting new people, 
going on new journeys, creating more memories. Tell me a bit about London uh, and then obviously Bradford when you had to come to the other side of the world and start to experience that for yourself and really cut your teeth and jump in deep end. What do you remember about those experiences and how did it help you develop into who you are now? Yeah, London was a totally bizarre one. Um, I yeah, I'd never thought about sort of coming to to England at that point. I was 20, 23, but definitely didn't, you know, London was like not a not part of the the rugby league fabric, I guess, in my my head back then. Um, so I was fortunate when I left the Warriors, there was a, a couple of weeks of limbo there and uh, Tony, Uncle Tony actually introduced me to Tony Ray and we had a few phone calls in and amongst um, Tony being on the on the tube in London and cutting in and out. Um, so <laughs> we, that, that phone call took a few turns. Um, but yeah, very grateful for, for Tony to give me that opportunity, such a young bloke, to come to London. And um, I came in July 2004 and things weren't going great. Um, Tony was looking for some support and I was, I was keen to do that. They had a very experienced team uh, back then. A lot of players in their last season at London, um, which was a real challenge. Like guys like strong-minded guys like Jimmy Dimmick, um, Dennis Moran. Yeah. Those type of guys were very experienced, really good players. But they were. Um, I, I'd gone from spending a lot of time at the Warriors coaching sort of 15 to 21 year olds to then get there and having a very experienced team. So it made me sort of um, sit back and think about how you how do you connect and support senior players that have been there, done it, know it. Um, so that was a really good experience. And I, I appreciate a lot of those guys at the, the Broncos, um, the players helped me as well to, to improve my coaching in that time and ended up having another two seasons at at the London Broncos, which we underwent a bit of a, a read, reshaping of the roster in 2005. It was really cool. Um, and I got to do a lot of recruitment work and oh, a lot right. of um, scouting and sort of support some decision-making for Tony there. And then we had a good 2005. Um, and it gave me a really good grounding, I think, for the, for the English game. And then 10 years later, I got the opportunity to, to come back to Bradford. So um, first game to Bradford, in 96, when Dad was the coach, um, started Super League, and then 10 years later, almost, I had my first time in London, and then mm. another 10 years later, um, I came to, to Bradford, and that was, uh, that was a good experience as a coach. Like, I left a good job, very good job, at the, the Gold Coast Titans mid-season um, to take on that, that head coaching role, and cost me, you know, in the end, after Bradford went into administration, I didn't have a job. Um, it cost me a lot of money to, to do that, to make that decision. But for sort of an eight-month um, internship, on-the-job internship, to see all the highs and lows that go with um, a professional sports club, which we had some really good times. We shifted the roster. We changed a lot of stuff. But in the end, um, we had some disappointing defeats. We had administration, like to put all of that into eight months, you know, that you can't put a value... <laughs> can't put a value on that as a yeah, coach yeah, and yeah. development like that's the best thing that ever happened to my coaching um, was to experience all of that in such a condensed period of time and then having a few months of no job after that was a chance to reflect and go is this the business that you want to be in and um, I'd say aside from a day or two here or there 100% like the the pain or the disappointment is is worth going through some of that to to be part of um, a great game. Love it. Love that.
gonna have a bit of adversity there to to find the success. Galvanising. Um, just wondered what when you came over or used to send a lot of books out. We've got a bit of a book group there. And it's, I love it. I I like to listen to audio books when I'm I'm running, and um, it takes what it takes. It was one that I remember, and I think Bill Walsh, an author that you, you like and inspired by. Who would be some of the best mentors or inspirations for you? And I, and I know that it's a bit of a mosaic, by the way, but if there was one or two people that really give you some inspiration and some foresight, who, who would they be? So I think mentors can come in all sorts of yeah. shapes and sizes, and especially the access to, um, to, to people and to things on social media. Like during that COVID period, um, I connected with some unbelievable coaches that I never thought you know, you'd ever get the chance to, to speak to. You guys are coaching in the NBA, you know, just reach out and say, hey, fancy a chat about some coaching, like, yeah. and they come back and say, yeah, cool, let's do that. So I think mentors can come, you know, in that sort of regular um, contact, but even just having one day or going to a course for one day can feel like that guy is a mentor. He's changed the way I think. I'm, I'm taking that with me. Um, a lot of... Yeah, a lot of authors I feel like have have really supported me and continue to support me. And I love picking up some of those books that you mentioned and just flicking through them again um, to, to revisit some thoughts. Um, I'd say you know, during my life and coaching, I'd say my mum and my dad have both been probably the best mentors in in various ways. And then, you know, I've been fortunate enough to cross paths with like with Daniel and other great coaches, Trent Robinson, um, Matty Elliott, um, you know, Rick Stone, Garth Brennan, Tony Ray. Um, I've had like a lot of good mentors um, that I've, Neil Henry. Um, yeah, I feel really fortunate enough uh, to, to cross paths with a lot of people. Yeah, but um, I think learning, if you're, if you're learning, then there's, there's a mentor in there somewhere. Sure. If, you're, if you're chasing learning through um, documentaries, audio books, podcasts, books, and just having conversations with people about about life um, and about coaching. I think it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. It's interesting. I love sport. I've always been a part of it. I think Steve Jobs, I've always been a big fan of Apple. There's people that dream big, almost ridiculously, abstractly big, and then change the world through some crazy thought or dream. I, I love that idea. Um, 447 days being in charge of Leeds now, I've had that, that role. Um, just give us a bit of an insight into how maybe how that came about and I guess everybody's got an, an expectation whether that's fulfilled your expectation in your time here you know that reality is starting to manifest as that developmental sort of long-term approach to being at the Leeds Rhinos starting to become what you hoped it'd be and just those opening sort of 447 days well um, there's been a lot in that time um, some some big highs and you know, being in the grand final and we haven't really taken too much time to reflect on that because there's sort of always stuff to look forward to. I'm not, I'm not a great, um, I reflect daily, but I'm not, um, I'm not great at sort of looking back on that journey. Some um, super memorable victories away at Catalans and, you know, even at home against Huddersfield and Cass here, they were both big moments. Um, but I think the whole day-to-day -day process of, um, dealing with stuff that you know people um people in the stands will never know about and yeah. dealing with that kind of stuff good and bad stuff um to to 
try and pull the group together to, to win on a weekly basis, but also having that vision for, for the future. And I've been fortunate enough to be around um, some clubs that, you know, right back from when my, my dad coached at, at Hull and, and then definitely at St George, a lot of young players coming through and building the team around it, seeing the great Leeds teams through the, the early 2000s and being on the wrong end of some horrible defeats um, when I was at London to a, a, a Leeds team that were growing from within. Um, fortunate enough to be around um, Penrith for a year in 2013 where they were probably in the earlier stages of their development process and, and 10 years later now they're sort of three or four years into being one of the top couple of teams. Um, but that took that took a while, yeah. um, but it was cool to see what they were doing. Um, Phil Gould and, and Matt Cameron and Garth Brennan was you know, a lot of the, the coaching of those younger players coming through. Uh, so I guess, I guess the, the time here has been um, busy. It's been, there's been a lot of highs and, and, and a, few, you know, a few rough moments as well, but um, the way that the, the club is and the people are and the, the city is about the Rhinos has been, um, been great. It feels like home to us, um, which is probably the most important thing, that the family are are happy and, and feel like Leeds is, Leeds is our home. So that's, um, that's probably the biggest victory uh, of, the, of the last year. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It's bubbling, absolutely bubbling. It's so encouraging. Every day I go on with it, up on back of my neck. It really is an inspiring place to be. Um, and I never, I never lose sight of that either. Novelty never wears off. Um, just, I love what you said about Penrith there. Hold that thought, because uh, I can really resonate with that. Obviously, that's NRL. Um, this is UK. But coming up in the next few weeks, uh, Lee played against St. Helens, got the win on the weekend. Um, they form the next two games for us. Uh, first St. Helens away, had some absolute epics against them. Uh, this season seems to bring the best out of uh, uh, our team. Wounded animal in uh, more ways than one. They've obviously lost the last two now uh, against Catalan and been knocked out of the Challenge Cup by Lee Leopards. They're going to come pretty ferociously out of there. And why do you think that the Leeds St. Helens games have been epics this year? Uh, two, two good teams full of. Um Good players, and and obviously there's a rivalry that goes long long way back. But um, I don't think the modern players sort of look too far back. Yeah. They probably look back to the last couple of games. And we had um, the middle of last year. We actually had a good tussle with St Helens for for the most part of that game over there. Um, and then we had a you know we made them earn it in that grand final. They, we didn't beat ourselves. They they had to they had to play well to beat us. And then that's led into to two epic games, as you said, this year, both very different, but but very similar in in the uh, in the closeness. Um, yeah, I think they they know who they are, and we're we're becoming um, probably on the days where we've played St Helens, we've shown who we are as well. Um, so, yeah, form won't mean anything, and and who is or isn't playing won't mean much either. It'll be um, it'll be a big a big battle. Certainly will, and I can't wait to get everybody back here. Edinburgh as well. Lee Leopard's next home game on a Sunday afternoon. Always going off. Always going mad. I've got to ask you, um, Lachlan Lamb and Adrian Lamb there, obviously father, son, and the way that they've recruited and the narrative, the rebranding, it's been exemplary, really, and it's, it's, it's paid dividends. You know, they're, they're a good side. Um, a bit of a shock. A lot of people expected the, the team that's been newly promoted to just bounce straight back down. 
they're on for treble at the minute. You know, to be fair, they're, they're going well. They're in a cup final. They're in second place. Um, it's been exceptional. What's been your take of, of Lee this year? Yeah, unless you're in a place, you don't fully know um, yeah. the, the successes or failures of a place. But, um, you know, looking from the outside, I'd say they started this process, you know, more than a year ago yeah. where they were getting some players um, into the club that they thought that would not only get them promoted but but help them stay there. I think a lot of clubs over the, the years that, you know, sort of looked at it are looking for that short-term, let's get promoted mentality. Um, but but they've um, they've got some players in there that are a chance of being long-term players. Now, keeping groups together is a difficult thing with, with salary cap and NRL uh, money getting thrown around for, for players to return that way as well. So... Uh, maintaining it might be difficult, but for for what it looks like from the past uh, or from the past eighteen months or so, they've built that from a while ago. Yeah. Uh, and they've they've had a you know a really good run of um, injury free largely. They've had their key players playing together all the time, so that's certainly a, a key thing when you're trying to build something new um, and create your own system, which which they're doing. To have the key players playing all the time is is vital to build that. So they've they've got themselves um, a roll on, and they've you know you you'd imagine they couldn't have hoped for uh, for a better start to the to the season and the position that they're in. I like what you said there about keeping groups together. Um, and we had a gold members evening a week or so ago with uh, some of our, our key fans, our big supporters there. Talked about some of the dynasties at the Rhinos and. One of the underpinning factors for those times, 1977, 78, um, a generation I was fortunate to play in, come through a system together, stayed together, and it became less about a salary cap and more about a journey. One of the things I'm really excited about with the league game is there's going to be a parade for the young kids that are moving on from scholarship to the academy, and I know you're passionate about that type of thing, seeing the development of the young people and encouraging them as well. It's all part of that long-term growth. You mentioned Penrith. You've seen that work in the NRL. Just tell us a little bit about that, how gratifying it is for you to be able to see that and how much it feeds into your own sort of development project ideas. Yeah, it's having having players in a building that you know only ever want to play for one club um, is, you know, is priceless, really, I think. Um, you know, we understand that not every player is going to be able to stay and other people get opportunities, um, better opportunities elsewhere. But the mentality is that kids in the program get get the opportunity to come through and we want to bring as many through as, as we can. Um, I've really enjoyed watching the scholarship and the academy, uh, most of the academy games. Uh, <laughs> but the scholarship, uh, the scholarship games have been, the, the, the good games this year have been really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Mark... Um, has done any staff have done a really good job with that that crew of kids they uh, they play the right way they behave themselves well um, they enjoy it but they they're uh, they're humble enough as well um, um, yeah got high hopes for a lot of those kids coming through and um, they've had a, a real progression this year so it'd be nice to see them take that we'll have that moment on the on the pitch and and be recognized uh, next next home game but um, to see them come through and get the next opportunity in academy training will be um, be exciting for them, yeah. And just lastly, really quick, uh, Justin Sangari and Annie McDonald, Jared O'Connor, it's really good to see those older players as well committing long-term futures to the club. That that settlement within the group, it just gives that 
certainty, doesn't it? Yeah, those guys have played well. Um, they've probably outplayed their contracts, um, so they've they've yeah. been rewarded and uh, extended. And we, we see, you know, the majority of our group have their best rugby ahead of them, um, and that's that's an exciting thing. And there's. As I said to the, the gold members, which was a, a really good evening um, last week, I really enjoyed that uh, that format. Um, there was probably 10 or 12, you know, Super League players that are training in our building at the moment that haven't yet played. So um, there's exciting times for the club and uh, building building from the bottom up. Outstanding. Well, some of the results this week have been outstanding. As we mentioned there, the women's team beating Wigan Warriors 16 points to four. A little bit different from the 52-0 win a couple of weeks before, but they've got the job done and they'll be playing at Wembley, the Challenge Cup final on Saturday the 12th of August. Big thanks to Rowan Smith for joining us right here on Box 2. Big thanks to you. Get behind the boys over at St Helens if you can. And if not, I look forward to seeing you here at Edinburgh Stadium against the Lee Leopards. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Take care and God bless.